Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hello, everybody. This is Bay Curious. We're headed to downtown San Francisco to meet this week's question asker. Okay, my name's Nicole. I live in the Coal Valley neighborhood of San Francisco. Now, Nicole has a grandmother in the Bay Area who has always given this advice. Whenever a family member is getting ready to move somewhere, she'll always say, never live in a place that's built on filled land. Phil land has a history of causing problems in the Bay Area, like during the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989. Scores of buildings in San Francisco's Marina neighborhood were destroyed in the quake and the fires that followed it, in large part because the neighborhood is built on loose sand. Nicole wants to follow her grandmother's advice, but she needs to know a few things. What neighborhoods and cities in the Bay Area are built on filled land? And what, if anything, are those cities and neighborhoods doing to mitigate risk as much as they can? I brought Nicole downtown to give her a glimpse at part of the answer. Let's see, we're on First and Market. Um, Phil's Coffee is here. <laughs> People are going about their business. How far are we from the water? What, like five, six blocks? Yeah, pretty, pretty decently far into the city, yeah. yeah. So there's actually a little something over here. Nicole and I walk over to a metal plaque embedded in the sidewalk. This tablet marks the shoreline of San Francisco Bay at the time of the discovery of gold in California, January 24th, 1848. Where we are right now would have been underwater. Hard to believe. (laughs) Very hard to believe because we are amongst lots of skyscrapers. I'm your host, Olivia Allen Price. Today we're learning what Phil is, where we've done it, and how we're shoring up that land. We'll get to it right after this. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. 
to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. All right. To help us answer Nicole's question, we brought in reporter Kelly O'Mara. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Olivia. So I think the first step here is going to be understanding what exactly Phil is. So way back in the day, I'm talking pre-1800s, the coastline of the bay looked very different. The extent of marsh deposits around the bay was 10 times as large as it is now. This is Keith Knudsen from the U.S. Geological Survey. He says lots of the marshlands and tidal wetlands of the bay got drained or filled in over time. All those marshes that aren't there anymore, they're now built on because we filled them. And if you look at maps of the old coastline of the inner bay, well, it looked very different 200 years ago. The line between what was land and what was water wasn't always as distinct as it is now. What used to be tidal marsh extended all the way north along Sassoon Bay and down to San Jose. And in the city, neighborhoods like Mission Bay didn't even exist. All this destruction of our marshy coastline was actually encouraged by Congress when they passed the U.S. Swampland Act of 1850. The government basically told people they could claim marsh or swampland as their own property, as long as they drained it and used it for agriculture. So a lot of people who struck out west started coming up with technologies to create more solid land. And some of that technology was not as fancy as you might think. They'd build a big metal, metal wall, usually, and then they would stick a suction hose on the bay side down to the bottom, and they would suck up the sand or whatever was on the bay bottom and pump it on the land side of that wall till they filled up the area. Then they would just let it dry out. Sometimes that took months or years, I think. In general, draining wetlands and building levees was way cheaper than creating totally artificial land from scratch. So when people commonly talk about fill around the Bay Area, they're often actually talking about two different things. One, artificial fill like Treasure Island or the marina, where land was made out of debris, rocks, and mud. And two, reclaimed or drained marshlands and wetlands, like up along the north of Sassoon Bay or down at the south end of the San Francisco Bay. By the 1950s, when the Army Corps of Engineers did a study of the Bay Area, they found more than 40% of marshlands and wetlands that could be converted to solid land had been converted. That added up to about 243 square miles of new land around the bay. For lots of reasons, we try not to do that anymore. We don't encroach on the bay like we used to do. After decades of building fill and draining tidal marshes, public opinion shifted, mostly because of growing environmental concerns. In the 1950s, when the Army Corps of Engineers did its study, they published a map projecting what the bay would look like by 2020. And it showed huge amounts of the bay continuing to be filled in. When that picture ran in the newspaper, it really freaked people out. The state legislature soon passed a law putting an end to bay infill. Part of Nicole's concern about building on artificial fill has to do with earthquakes, which is where Keith's expertise really comes in. The biggest problem, he says, is where we put the fill. First of all, we put them over really soft ground, old marsh deposits. And those marsh deposits tend to amplify earthquake shaking. So they make the shaking worse. 
Another problem is lots of the early artificial fill wasn't built with the best materials or engineering practices. A lot of the fill was in place 100 years ago or a long time ago before we knew how we knew much about earthquakes at all, in fact. So it's susceptible to earthquake-related problems, ground failure, we call it. Most prominently, liquefaction. Liquefaction happens when you have strong shaking, loose materials, and high groundwater. Those three ingredients combined, if they're shaken, if these deposits are shaken, they can liquefy, which means they stop behaving like ground, like a solid, and they behave like a liquid. Okay, so it's not like the whole ground turns into a swimming pool or anything, but parts here and there start acting like quicksand. Buildings can sink, and they usually sink unevenly. Also, things that are in the ground and filled with air, like sewage pipes, can float to the surface. Lots of bad things can happen if the ground liquefies. Now, to be clear, the areas that are just drained wetlands and bay mud without artificial fill on top are not at high risk of liquefaction. It's really the places built on fill where this could happen. Plus, there are some spots, like along streams, where liquefaction occurs naturally, too. Okay, so we know this can happen in neighborhoods built on fill. But as Nicole noted, we keep building in those areas anyway. Here we are in 2019, and those neighborhoods in San Francisco that are built on fill that I know of are some of the most populous in the city. We've got a lot of people living on fill. Are we doing anything to shore up the land? Kelly, it sounds like the answer is not really. No, not really. It's easiest to take steps to prevent liquefaction at the beginning, before even putting in the fill. But around the Bay Area, most neighborhoods on fill are already well-established, so their options are limited. Now, one of the few places where development is being planned on top of artificial fill is Treasure Island. So they are able to try out some more intense mitigation techniques there. Quick side note, we did a two-part series a few weeks ago about Treasure Island. So if you want to know more about what's being done on the island and if it'll work, check out the link in our show notes. That's also when our science reporter Kevin spoke to Bob Beck, the director of development there, about this process. It's been a, a ultimately a three-step process, the installation of the wick, wick trains, vibratory compaction, followed by surcharge. When heavy buildings are put on top of artificial fill, that fill settles or sinks. So what they're doing on Treasure Island is draining the water out of the ground, shaking it to let it settle before building, and then also trying to compact it by pushing down on the soil with lots of extra heavy dirt. The visual example that I think a lot of people can relate to is like taking a, a glass jar and filling it with rice or beans, and then taking that glass jar and tapping it on the table. There are more extreme techniques that have been tried in other places, but for most areas built on artificial fill around here, we don't have a lot of options. No, we have too much development already on fill, so you can't go nuts. For example, you can't suck the water out of the land under one development without causing problems for the building next door. And that's known as dewatering. If you follow local news, dewatering might sound familiar. Yeah, well, a lot of this has come up with the construction happening south of Market, which is a neighborhood mostly built on fill. Like the new Transbay Terminal, they use some dewatering techniques, 
But then the Millennium Tower developers say that impacted their building next door, which started sinking, even though the tower used standard practices for building on top of artificial fill. Sinking and tilting aren't the only problems for San Francisco's Millennium Tower. Now a large crack in a window. That standard practice that the Millennium Tower used, it was built on top of a slab foundation. So if the whole thing sinks, at least it does it in one piece. But cracks forming in the building have made some people wonder if that didn't quite work the way it was supposed to. The other option commonly used is to build on what are called friction piles that go deep into the mud underground. Some new buildings are even extending their piles all the way down to the bedrock. But short of building a better foundation, there's not much you can do about things already built on fill. No. And that's why the only other thing that changed after the 1989 earthquake was a requirement now to tell people if they live in one of these hazard zones. The state is charged, the California Geological Survey is charged with mapping areas to show where there is this hazard. USGS has created hazard maps to show if your home is at risk of liquefaction, which we link to online. But those maps don't necessarily tell you if you're living on fill or on ground that's just a natural hazard, which is what Nicole wanted to know. So the only way to really know for sure what's under your house is to do a survey or a boring, hire a geologist and dig deep into the ground. Or you can use the mapping technique USGS uses. We overlay them on current maps, and then the boundary between what used to be the coastline and what is the current coastline, that's been filled. Seems obvious, though this does potentially miss some specific neighborhoods or individual locations. But you can see all the major spots, like the marina, Treasure Island, Foster City. The shoreline around Emeryville, Alameda. Most of SFO is built on fill. We've got all sorts of maps to help you at baycurious.org. So if you want to know before you move in somewhere, check that out, or just ask before you buy, since legally, they have to tell you. Today's episode was reported by Kelly O'Mara. Our question asker was Nicole. Our film map was made by KQED's data reporter, Lisa Pickoff-White. Thanks to Keith Knudsen with the USGS and Alexandra Kanick for their help with that project. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Have a great week. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks.